This episode was brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Dave Becker, Greg Bench, Dan George, Kevin Corby, Blake Pops, Jill Robertson, Amy Swan, and Trey Whetstone. Thank you all. Now on to the episode. Welcome to another episode of Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. I am your co-host, the father, a.k.a. Pastor Matt, and I am joined, as always, by my trusty sidekick, Jackson the Sun, and welcome to My Bloody Valentine, America Edition. (laughs) We are a spoiler podcast. We do spoil the horror movies we discuss, and today we are celebrating the 40th anniversary of the slasher classic from 1981, The Prowler. It was 1945, the night of the graduation dance. The war overseas had just ended. The terror at home Roy. was about to begin. Roy? Come on, kid. Don't play hard to get. The Prowler. If he wants you, he'll get you. Tonight, the terror begins again. And to do this right, we have a guest who is the sultan of slashers. In fact, he is the most passionate person in the universe when it comes to horror movies. The man with the coolest name in podcasting and a gentleman who, like me, married way up, Mr. LOTC himself, Greg Amortis. Welcome, Greg. (laughs) I kind of laugh because you're right. I did marry up. (laughs) We both did, brother. <laughs> we did. Uh, thank you, brother. Yeah, it's honor, 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 man. What a great introduction. And Jackson, man, it's been so long, dude. Been so long. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been so long. <laughs> yeah, hasn't hasn't been a, a fleeting year. I haven't thought about you, Greg. I know. We spent those five and a half hours together Thursday <laughs> night. <laughs> so great time. But no, it's an honor, man. And uh, man, I'm so excited to be talking to the Prowler, dude. This is. Epic. I done talked to Dave Becker because you know Dave, Doctor Shop Becker loves the Prowler, so I, yes. I had to sit him up for a minute. So hey, Dave, let me get your thoughts again. You know we've talked to this a million times. But let me hear you. So I did go to him too as well. So super excited. Thank you for the invite, brother. Absolutely, man. So the uh, IMDb synopsis reads: An unknown killer, clad in World War II U.S. Army fatigue, stalks a small New Jersey town. Actually, it's set in California, but it's obviously Jersey. Uh, bent on. Reliving a 35-year-old double murder by focusing on a group of college kids holding an annual graduation dance. I thought they hadn't had the dance in a while. But anyway, not bad. At least the person who wrote this may have seen the movie, um, so that's good. But, Greg, do you remember when you first saw The Prowler? I honestly don't. I know it was at an early age. I know it was VHS era. Uh, Probably, I'm guesstimating probably around the late 80s, I would say, but I, I I don't. I don't, honestly. I would say probably 85, 86. I was really big into uh, slashers, so probably around in that time, I would say. Gotcha. Jackson, what about you? When did you first see The Prowler? I watched The Prowler for the first time for this episode, and I uh, got to the wow. end, and I was like, that didn't make any sense. Let me watch it again, because <laughs> I must have missed something. And I watched it again, and I think it made less sense, but uh, it was fun. I don't know. Uh, you know, sometimes you've got you to see a movie twice. This one did not benefit from that, but you never know until you try. Oh, I watched it twice, too, including with the commentary. But, I, yeah, I saw this like you, Greg, and I think we're roughly the same age. What year were you born? 72. Yep, I was born in 72, so we are the same age. (laughs) 
And yeah, I saw this on VHS uh, about the same time probably you did when I was just, you know, burning through uh, slashers as a teenager. So let's talk about the plot and the screenplay uh, <laughs> attributed to six different screenwriters. Mm. Six. You can uh, tell. I am, a, <laughs> I am a fan of this film, but yes. six different screenwriters for this thing. Um, and this is the, the bizarre thing. So the two primary writers, guys who wrote the first draft, which, mm. which uh, according to Joe Zito, the director, does make up like 90% of the final product, um, were Glenn Leopold and Neil Barbera. Glenn Leopold at that time, or maybe not that time, but right after this, wrote for the Smurfs TV show. <laughs> and and <laughs> later the Smurfs. And then he also wrote for, and only people from the 80s, Greg and I would probably be the only people who remember this, wrote for Small Wonder. Oh wow. Dude, that was such a good show, man. <laughs> I know, right? The robot kid, right? Isn't that what it was? Yeah. Yes. And so Glenn Leopold primarily wrote kid stuff. Well, Neil Barbera is Joe Barbera's son, Joe Barbera from Hannah Barbera, from, you know, Flintstones and so forth. And Neil Barbera also wrote for kids. He wrote, he was a staff writer on the Banana Splits TV show and Captain Caveman. Captain Caveman! <laughs> And then they write this. And this is like <laughs> these are the people, Greg, our parents entrusted with their childhood. The people who wrote the Prowler. <laughs> what were they thinking? <laughs> oh man, oh man. So, oh, okay. So, Greg, the plot is pretty typical '80s slasher: red herrings, uh, kids getting killed left and right. And a pretty, in my opinion, I want your opinion, obvious killer. What, what do you think? Yeah, I totally agree. Like the, the plot is, I mean, but let's face it. You, you know where I'm going with this one really quick, Pastor Matt. The fact that when you go into a slasher movie, especially early 80s, you were going in for gore. That was it. You just want to see kills and boobies and be done with it. So the plot was just, that's second thought. You know what I mean? You're, you're going in for kills. So. The plot here is so full of holes and so, uh, oh. <laughs> but I mean, you got a killer who's, who's obvious. I mean, you find it out once you hear the killer, you see the killer guys, you know me like, yeah, I saw that a mile away. Uh, <laughs> whenever you in a slasher, you are introduced to somebody and you spend time with them and yeah. then they disappear for a long time. Yeah. You know, right then, uh, wait a minute. Yeah. Now this one definitely has that obvious one, and 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 it's like okay, you got the dear John letter right at the beginning, right? So like okay, so we're setting up with the uh, Rosemary, and we're setting okay, all right, we get it, all right, she's leaving him, uh, he's heartbroken, he comes back, so there's your killer. I mean, obviously, um, lots of problems, lots of problems, but but the gore, man, the gore, dude, I'm telling you, Tom Savini pulling it out of his yin yang on this one. Yep. Uh oh, my goodness. And, and I mean, honestly, for what Joseph Zito had to work with, I, I thought he'd done a good job. I mean, the acting's really poor, piss poor. Yeah. But, I mean, you got non-actors. You got people that these are their first starting roles. And did you see the cast, like, Jackson guys? I mean, like, 90% of these people either had soap opera 
experience or yeah. winning soap operas, like majority of them. So it was like crazy. Uh, but man, it's the kills that I loved in this one, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't disagree with that. Jackson, what did you think? Well, the the plot. Uh, so I was a little confused. Like even from my first watch of it, you know, you get the the whole '40s scene in the beginning, which I thought was really cool. I thought they did a pretty good job with the period. Kind of reminded me of uh, Hello Mary Lou, you know, Prom Night Two, how they start off with the beginning, the flashback or whatever. Yeah. But. But, uh, you know, there's two red herrings in the first 15 minutes. There's one at 11 and one at 14. So, like, within one scene, there's two red herrings. You get, right. uh, they're at the police station, and uh, Pam, I think her name is, and she's like a, uh, the father of the first female victim all alone in the house where she was killed all by himself. And, and the, the sheriff is like, oh, the little boy was chopped up yesterday, you know, or something like that. And then there's another red herring 14 minutes in with the auto, the guy at the convenience store. And uh, the convenience mm-hmm. store owner's like, have you been sneaking around again? He was so close to saying, have you been prowling around again? <laughs> uh, it has just as many red herrings as like Terror Train or your average Giallo. But uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's fun, I guess. You know, I thought that honestly, Pam and um, Deputy Mark, I think his name was, the actors yeah. that played those guys, they're pretty good. I mean, they weren't, they weren't great, but they, they were passable. Um, especially Pam. I don't know what her name was, but I thought she was pretty good. She was a likable final girl. Yeah, but Greg is right. They did not have long storied careers after no. this. They, uh, they and didn't uh, do I much. understand why. I understand why. I mean, it's the Prowler, right? I mean, this is yeah. other than the, the fantastic kills, which you can tell a lot of time were put into. Um, and I've, I watched uh, Savini on Letterman, and I sent you that clip as well. Savini yeah. on Letterman talking about his effects. And it's obvious that he and his team put so much work into them. It just seems like a lot of the time the movies don't deserve him, like yeah. the scripts that he's working with. Um, but yeah, I can understand why this would this would halt somebody's career before it even took off. But yeah, I thought Deputy Mark and Pam, they were all right. The plot was convoluted, but yeah, the kills were some of the most brutal I've ever seen in an 80s movie. They feel really real. They make it cringe a little bit. Like when you see the pitchfork going, you're like, ooh, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just a testament to how good the the um, how good Savini's effects were. And I, I assume that's what we're going to be talking about the most because that's the most material you really have to praise with this movie. Yeah, well, yeah. Go ahead, Greg. I was going to say, like you said, Pam, and and that's Vicky Dawson, and then Deputy Mark, who was Christopher Gatman. I want to call them. From now on, I think we should call them, how about this, Amy Steele and Christopher Walken. Because, <laughs> I mean, you got Christopher Walken as the deputy sheriff. I mean, dude, that, it's not him, but I swear, I was thinking, like, is this Christopher Walken or what? <laughs> and then Pam looked so much like freaking Amy Steele. Yeah. And there's even a scene, spoiler, in about half of the way through the movie, three quarters, where there's a pitchfork that is just so totally probably 13th part two. Like, the whole pitchfork out, I was thinking, this is like Friday 13th Part 2, and I even looked it up, which one came out first, because I'm like, somebody grabbed that scene. (laughs) (laughs) Well, spoiler, Friday 13th Part 2 came out a few months before this one, so I guess they get the nod. (laughs) Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, I... Yeah, it's one of those things where I remember, you know, I'm pretty sure when I first watched it, even as a teenager, going, okay, so, like... When, you know, Vicki Dawson, when she is confronted by the Prowler, mm-hmm. what does the deputy do? Um, I'll go search the house. You go sit in the Jeep with the plastic windows and, uh, you know, and, and I'll, I'll walk around with my gun while you're sitting there unarmed. Um, 
you know, what what could happen. You know, it, it's just, yeah, there are things that I, I was watching. And the funny thing was today I watched uh, the uh, my, I've got the Blue Underground Blu-ray. Yeah. And, and I watched the commentary with Joseph Zito and Tom Savini. And even they were going, oh, yeah, because that's what you do. You know, it's even Joseph Zito was talking about the fights he had with the screenwriters. Like, well, that doesn't make any sense. You know, it's like and they even asked him about the red herrings. And he said, were you concerned about making this a mystery? And he goes, oh, Lord, no. (laughs) He said, this doesn't work as a mystery. (laughs) He said, you know, I was just worried about making a slasher film. I mean, but I will I will give credit where credit is due. Okay, so. You know, obviously, this is one of those movies that after the popularity of Halloween and Friday the 13th, everybody was rushing to make a slasher film. Um, and you get this thing where they start to put in the giallo thing of, you know, the who's the killer? Well, I mean, like Friday the 13th, the original kind of cheats, right? Because we don't even meet Mrs. Voorhees mm-hmm. until she's basically revealed as the killer. Right. There's there's no way really to guess that it's Mrs. Voorhees until she shows up and introduces herself and gives her own backstory and all that other kind of stuff. And so I, you know, yeah, maybe it's what Gilman Joel calls C and D. Uh, people like me cut 80 slashers, a lot of slack, but it still worked for me. I understand, you know, that watching i was like you don't do that you don't do that like when they go into the house at the end they split up why would you split up yes yes would you i mean if you and pearl if there was a serial killer on the loose and you heard something you know where you live would you two split up no but i would send her first because she's badass my (laughs) wife would like i mean bad butt i'm sorry but she would have took him down like seriously like i would be like you go first i got the back You're back there. You're back there. Like a, I'm back, back here there. hanging back, letting her do her. You're like uh, a wrestling boot. commentator back there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there goes the foot to the neck. <laughs> oh, it still works for me. The yeah. funny thing was when I was watching the commentary, because we have yet another, what Tom Savini rightly calls a carry ending. Yes. Um, Tom Savini has claimed credit for this carry ending. He claimed credit for the carry ending in Friday the 13th. And, and Joseph Zito just calls him out and says, you didn't have anything to do with that. You can't even remember the name of the writers. You never even met them. <laughs> He's like, don't, don't take credit for that. I mean, it's all in the commentary. And, and, and Tom Savini's like, no, no, I did. I met with like Herb. And, and, and Joseph says, that's not even their names. <laughs> Call him out, buddy. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we get the carry ending. That to me on rewatch was maybe the weakest part of it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That I was expecting a lot more. And then when I got it, I'm like, yeah, okay. And it even had that melodic. You remember like in Friday the 13th, and then they did it in Friday the 13th, part two, and they do it in all of them. And it was that whole little drawn out music. And you're thinking, okay, it's all sweet. And, you know, with Jason coming out of the water in the first one. And and you're waiting, and I'm like, this is what I got. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. whatever. All right, cheap. But yeah. Even Tom Savini on the commentary goes, wait, wait a minute, that wasn't the carry ending I wanted. It's like, what is he a zombie? What's going on? Is it a dream sequence? And Joseph C was like, I don't know. The screenwriters <laughs> wanted it. You know, I was hired to do it, so we did it. That's that's the end of it. Jackson, what did you think of the ending? 
it, it was really abrupt. I don't know. It, it kind of feels like they ran on a budget after that head explosion. It's like they 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 blew their load there with all their money, and then they're like, "What do we do? How do we end this movie?" Uh, have her hallucinate about the people in the shower, I guess. First of all, why did they send? Did they? So I guess they didn't know the bodies were up there. But why was there a cop car in front of her? How I just don't understand what's going on. They just like it fades to black and cuts forward. Who knows how long? And it's just like. Figure it out. Put together the pieces. Oh, never mind. The movie's over. It was so <laughs> weird. It's such a weird... It feels like there should have been another act or something. I'm glad there wasn't, but it feels like there should have been. Um, yeah, I don't know. That Nothing in this movie makes sense. And and what made it even funnier is, like, every at the end of every, like, big scene, sort of like what they do on The Last Drive-In, there was, an, there was you know, how Joe Bob will usually interrupt. Well, I was watching it on Tubi, and there were ads uh, on this, so... After every, like, big action scene, there would be an ad, and it was often really humorous. Like, uh, you know, at the very beginning, the cold open, the two people get stabbed with a pitchfork, kind of like Friday the 13th Part 2. Um, and, and then immediately following that, I got a chipper ad for the U.S. Army. <laughs> They're like, join the U.S. <laughs> Army today. And then, even better, even better. Because you'll get a Dear John letter, yeah. letter and turn into a serial killer. That's, yeah, because that's exactly what you want. Yeah, but, and then, and then after the head exploded, almost immediately I got an ad for cheesy bread at Domino's. So it's like, <laughs> it's like really bad timing, but, uh. That will just yeah. make your butt explode. But anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Well, not as bad as Taco Bell, but close to it. Yeah. Yeah. Get but, the runs uh, from the border. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. would have been a better commercial. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. This I this was just a goofy movie, and I think honestly, having ads on Tubi made it better. It made it feel like pulpier. Like I was watching this on TV late at night, and I think that made me enjoy it a little bit more. It is really, you know, they ran out of budget. It's silly. The script doesn't make any sense, but it's fun. Dang it. Yeah. It's oh man. Yeah, the plot, I mean, this is one of those things where, and Greg, I've heard you say this a hundred times on LOTC, this is one of those, get your popcorn, get your snack of choice, check your brain at the door, and just have a good time, right? Perfect. Yeah, it's perfect analogy. Like, you're not going into this expecting Oscars, and you're not going into it uh, looking for, like, you know, these these great storylines. You're going in it to look for the kills, and when they are, when they're in the movie, they're amazing. Uh, they needed more, honestly, but yeah, not so much fun though. And, and, uh, but that's, that's exactly what this is. That's what all slashers are typically. Yeah. Yeah. Especially from this time period. Oh. Right. I mean, that's, that's what you get. So do you see like 1981 when this came out, I was looking up a list of the slashers that came out in 81. The, the list of those were like, okay, of course my bloody Valentine, which is the epic of 81 films, I would say. Um, the Burning, Happy Birthday yeah. to Me, Halloween 2, Just Before Dawn, The Fun House, Bloody Birthday, Friday 13th Part 2, Final oh. Exam, Student Bodies, Night School, Eyes of a Stranger, Deadly Blessing, which I really like, Graduation yeah. Day, Dark Night, Scarecrow, one of my all-time favorite films, Strange Behavior, Home Sweet Home, Bloody Moon. I'm like, good grief, man. Like, evil speak, like... Wow, <laughs> what a freaking year, man. <laughs> and we all have to, and the reason they all existed was everybody saw that... That uh, at that time, an unknown filmmaker in 1978, <clears throat> John Carpenter, made a little movie called Halloween, and it made a, just a crap ton of money, and everybody was like, yeah, we got to do that. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, 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 yeah, it was an incredible um, time, but 
Anything else we want to talk about with the plot here? Because I don't want to, I, you know, if we talk about the plot too much or the screenwriting too much, to be frank, I think we're going to end up looking like we're crapping on this movie where I think all three of us enjoyed it despite its flaws. Sure. So is there anything else that we want to mention? Jackson, anything else that stood out to you? Uh, I don't know when, when the appropriate time to talk about this is. It's kind of like a, I don't know, this is this is an odd thing, but the, at the dance, you get the, the school dance. The band playing at the school oh, dance. Oh, we will talk about the band. Wait till we get to the okay. music. We'll we save it. We will talk right. about the band, yes. Uh, okay. The band that I believe was called um, Going Nowhere or Nowhere Fast or nowhere something fast. like that. Nowhere yeah, Fast. I, I looked into them a little bit. pretty much summed up their career. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I looked into them a little bit, and uh, we'll talk about that later. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. One, uh, one other thing I have to say, though. Pam does a lot of running in this movie. Partially, you know, part of her uh, time, she's running in high heels. So very impressive. It looks like it's the actor actually doing it, running up and down stairs and running through graveyards and stuff. Pretty impressive, I would oh, think. Well, let's talk about the graveyard for just, just a second, then we'll move on to the cast. Um, the graveyard, they shot the graveyard scene on Halloween night. The open grave where the coffin is was a real open grave. There was an internment ceremony that next morning. Mm. <laughs> the coffin, the production designer bought the coffin in like somewhere in New England. And it had become infamous because it belonged to a funeral home owner. When they got it and opened it up, you could still see the layout of a body that had been there. Mm. Mm. Oh. And the reason it had become infamous is because the funeral home owner had been arrested for being, let's shall we say, intimate with his dead oh, clients. No. Oh, no. Oh. Uh, talking necromaniac. I am. That's what I am talking about. And that is the coffin in there. And that is not a fake body in the coffin. That is a, the actress in the coffin when they discover the coffin. And she had to lie in that. Oh, no. Oh. Oh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 even worse than the the um uh poltergeist pool scene where that actor had to be in there with all the skeletons. I think I, it would be worse to be in a confined uh space with where right. a body was recently. Yes. We've talked about this all the time. Yeah, they're always real skeletons in Hollywood movies. Right? They're yes. always real skeletons. That's not, in yes. Return of the Living Dead and House on, you go go all the way back to the 50s, House on Haunted Hill. Yes. Those are real skeletons because you can buy them cheap and you don't have to pay an FX artist to do it. They're always real skeletons. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And they don't melt. Uh, Tom Savini was talking about how if you put the plastic ones on a kiln with the effects and they'll melt and that'll be not good. But yeah, that's uh, that was, that's an interesting thing. I, you know, maybe being an 80s slasher actor is a little bit harder than I thought it was because, <laughs> you know, they're not providing a lot of range in this movie, but let's cut them some slack. I mean, they had to basically be in a coffin where a corpse was seconds earlier. So I don't know what you could pay me to do well that. And, a, and a corpse with a amorous funeral homeowner too yeah really <laughs> disgusting so uh, oh 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 man oh. <laughs> yeah no <laughs> thanks so the cast uh and greg you brought this up the cast yeah with few exceptions it isn't stellar the acting is not great it's passable it's not sure. terrible but it's not great uh, joseph zito did say on the commentary that a number of the cast, especially those at the dance, 
decided they had to go full method so they were actually drunk? Sure, that's what they said. We're going full method here. Won't you let us well, get into our character? They, they cast all these people from, like, Broadway in oh. New York. Thus the reason they were drinking, because they were on the Prowler. Well, they were like, just, I went from Broadway yeah, to the like, Prowler. No, Joseph Z, if you watch the commentary, Joseph Z was like, we hired all these guys, mainly from New York, because it was close to where we shot, in, in, you know, in New Jersey. And so we, we hire all these guys, and all of them are like in love with Dustin Hoffman and Robert De Niro and all this other kind of stuff. So when they're like, yeah, you're going to be drunk in this scene. It's like, oh, yes, okay, drunk in this scene. And they're like, got <laughs> hands up. And they're like, okay, okay, I need to be drunk. And so they go off and get drunk and show up drunk. Like the one guy throwing up in the bathroom scene, he's actually throwing up. Oh, yeah. I was. I thought that, that they lingered on that for a while. I was like, why are we lingering on this? But now I understand. Okay, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Well, and the same thing with the uh, character, I believe it was Lisa, when they came down, uh, they were outside. Because the guy, they were on the porch, and they come off of the uh, porch. They were been drinking, and the guy that was throwing up, when he stepped down first, he about tripped. Well, then she stepped down. Well, then there's a scene where she's talking immediately after, and you can tell she is totally. I was like, man, she's doing a great job at being drunk. Like, but now I'm thinking she was really drunk. Like, dude, I mean, wow. So now it really brings it in perspective. <laughs> yep, they were drunk. They were all drunk, and they're not the only person on the set that was drunk. I'll get to that in a second. Um, <laughs> Yeah, this is, you know, Jax, I think you said it right. They, they're passable. They're not, and Greg, you, I agree with you. They, they're not Oscar worthy or anything, but they're okay. And um, two people played the Prowler in the movie. One was Tom Savini. Um, the other was the assistant director. <laughs> they, they cast him as the Prowler because it saved them $18 a day. Talking about budgets. Mm. And so that meant he had to direct second unit in that costume. Now, Greg, you've you've been in a couple of movies. Could you imagine taking uh, direction from the Prowler in the Prowler getup? Yeah, like okay, all right. Now, what I'm gonna need you guys to do is to stay really still because I'm gonna bring this pitchfork and I'm gonna stick it right into the book. Okay, on three, two, let's go. <laughs> oh, and plus, I can't see very well because I have camo oh, yeah. over my face. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the whole no real way. Thing. There's no way that guy could see a thing. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, this is a real pitchfork because we could not afford a fake one. So this is real. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that was funny on the commentary. That it was Joseph Zito was talking about all the times she got mad at Tom Savini. The first was Tom didn't show up for one day of filming. I was like, "Where's Tom?" And his assistant said he told me to give you this note. He opened it and he said, "I found a beautiful blonde in Philadelphia. You're Italian." I know you'll understand. <laughs> and, and Joseph Zito, the commentary is like, I was mad at you, but I'm Italian. And yes, I can understand. <laughs> but we do have, as Dr. Shock has pointed out several times, we have a couple of notable actors in this movie. We have Farley Granger. Mm -hmm. As the sheriff, people will know him from, and they can go back to LOTC's 200th episode and listen to your Hitchcock episode, Greg, because he was on, he did, he starred in both Rope and Strangers on a Train. Woo! Yes. And he was on an episode of Monsters, by the way. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, one episode, 1990. Woohoo! Wow. He is good in this, don't you think? 
Oh, he's amazing. Well, I say amazing for slasher elements. Even yeah. <laughs> I don't think he was taking it seriously, but he's still, he's Farley Granger. I understand. And this is the period of life where he's like doing love boat episodes. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I get it, but still, I thought he was good. Jackson, what did you think? Yeah, he was, he was all right. He wasn't in it very much, was he? I mean, he's in, he's in a couple scenes at the beginning and then he's gone until the last couple shots. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's good. He's, I wouldn't say this is the career topping point in his career. You know, he's not, he's not going to put this on as real, but, uh, yeah, he's, he's pretty good. I guess he's probably bringing more class to it than, than anybody else on set. Yeah. I mean, the guy acted into his seventies, he died at 85, 10 years ago. Um, and his, he has IMDb credits up into the 2000s. So, you know, the guy kept working, um, God bless him. And I love him in strangers on a train. And so, you know, he's kind of annoying as the drunken rope, but that's okay. Um, yeah, I thought he was good. And then we've got Lawrence Tierney. Now, oh, no. uh, yeah, well, as may, as the major, you may notice that Lawrence Tierney did not have any lines, really. Sure. There's a reason for that. Um, he was a violent drunk. All of his shots were shot at night, which meant by the time it was time for him to shoot, he was drunk. <laughs> <laughs> and as a violent drunk, as they found out, as Tom Savini put it this way, he said, Lawrence Tierney would say, hey, good evening. And then five minutes later, slap you across the room. Ooh. Um, and Joseph Zito said to deal with him. And Joseph Zito said, I did three movies with Lawrence Tierney. Lawrence Tierney was an Oscar nominated actor. Of course, most people are going to know him from Reservoir Dogs, right? As Joe. Right. That's what I knew him from. Yeah. Nice guy, Eddie's dad. Mm-hmm. So Lawrence Tierney on set. So Joseph Zito gives this speech to the entire cast. It's like, look, we have $1 million. We don't have a penny more. If we don't make this work, it's not going to work. It's never going to come out. You want this movie to come out. We have to be on time. You have to be on your best behavior. He said, almost no one listened. The leads did. The guy who played the deputy sheriff and Vicki Dawson. Okay. They listened. He said, everybody else, they, they decided to go all method. They were drinking, all this other kind of stuff. Lawrence Tierney was the worst. And this is a guy who's been in Hollywood for decades, and he's the worst. Not only is he drunk. While he's sitting in the wheelchair, he's making obscene gestures to all the female cast members. Oh, no. <laughs> mm. Like pretending to touch himself and all kinds of stuff. Oh. Pretending? or <laughs> I, Joseph Cito said pretending. So let's just okay. take it. Mm. But there's a reason why he didn't have any lines. Apparently, in the original screenplay, he had lines. But Joseph Zito said... Whenever I had to talk to Lawrence Tierney, I took a prop gun and put it in my belt and <laughs> tell him it wasn't real just to have discussions with him. Well, it makes sense now, like, because if you watch the movie, you would have expected his character to speak. Like, you really would want to hear him speak. And it did throw it off to me a little bit. But now, hearing this, I'm like, okay, well, now I know why. But it... it I mean, because in the movie, I was like, he's such an integral part of of one of the characters, or not integral, but I mean, a major part in that scene that you would be like, okay, what's going on here? Why? uh, Now I know. Okay. Drunk. (laughs) Yeah. And he's like, yeah, here's an Oscar nominated actor 
mm-hmm. you put him in this low budget movie and you give him zero lines. Well, that's because he'd had a tire like bottle of bourbon all day. And by the time he showed up to shoot at night, you know, he's ready to fight everybody on set. <laughs> and he's he got scale pay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But I mean, if you listen to Quentin Tarantino talk about Lawrence Tierney on Reservoir Dogs, it was kind of the same thing. It was I mean, they had to resort to cue cards at times because he was drunk. I mean, it was just. He he challenged almost everybody, including Harvey Keitel and Quentin Tarantino, to a fist fight. I mean, it was just good lord. Yeah, he was he was a handful. So, but yes, he's a great actor, and he is in this movie. Um, <laughs> we also have a young Tom Bray, the guy with the glasses at the dance who takes his girlfriend into the basement. Those who lived through the '80s will remember him from Riptide. The TV show Riptide. Do you remember that, Greg? I love Riptide, dude. Yeah, he was in that. You remember him, right? He still had the glasses. Yes, yes. And so he would go on to be in a couple of, he would have small roles in a couple of other horror movies, including uh, the horror show with Lance Hendrickson, Deep Star Six, directed by Sean Cunningham, and Prince of Darkness. Did you uh, Justin Long? Yeah, 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 yeah. He now that you like say that, yes. <laughs> you take away the glasses. You give him a decent haircut. Yes. yes, and he does look a little like you're right, Greg. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Oh yeah, he does. Yeah. Oh okay. Yeah. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> just, no, can... it's just the guy hasn't acted in ten years. But I, I, you know, I he did his job here. You know, and Joseph Zito didn't say if he was one of the ones that was drunk or not. But, um. But anyway, um, I, you know what? Look, uh, okay, I'll go ahead and put a hot take out there. When I watch a movie, I don't care if it's a low-budget movie, and the acting is weak, I don't cut them much slack. And here's why. And maybe this will sway you to my argument, Greg. Mm-hmm. Because John Carpenter's Halloween was a low-budget movie, and the performances in that are incredible. Agreed. So I don't like, or, you know, look at Betsy Palmer in the original Friday 13th as Mrs. Voorhees. She's amazing. True. So I I don't, I just don't give a lot of slack for that. Am I wrong? No, I mean, certainly not. No, I mean, nobody should get slack for that. But at the same sense, we did know that most of the actors in the 80s slashers films were very green and not. You know, they were not up to Oscar worthiness, but at the same time, you're right. I mean, we shouldn't give them that much slack because clearly Halloween did it. And I mean, you're talking, well, PJ Souls had a little bit, uh, she'd be a little bit more polished. But I mean, when you get into Nancy Loomis and so, well, even Nancy Loomis was in, I, well, okay, but, that. <laughs> no, but I, but look yeah, at yeah. Donald Pleasance's performance in that movie. True. For $35,000, that guy delivers a... And in fact, I would argue, his best performance as Dr. Loomis because they kind of, later directors kind of let him off the chain and let him scream too much and all the other kind of stuff in some of the Halloween sequels. You know, Carpenter didn't do that. And, you know, and I, you know, have read, you know, interviews with John Carpenter where he goes back and he's he's talking about like Donald Pleasance and he had like this long conversation about how should he do the scene on the balcony when, 
you know, Michael Myers' body is missing? Should he be surprised or should he be like, yep, I figured that? And John's like, I think you should have figured that. And Donald's like, okay. And he, he does it perfectly. And so Jamie Lee Curtis is, is, is great in it, you know? Uh, and, and so I, you know, I, that's why I don't cut when I hear this. Well, the acting's not great, but it was low budget. And I'm like, yeah, but you can point to a lot of low budget movies where the acting's pretty good. And so, you know, and that's up to the director. I agree. Now that I totally agree with. Yeah. Yeah. The director's position is to make that actor get to that spot. Right. If you can't get that uh, actor to that spot, then you're not doing your job correctly or you're working with somebody that don't need to be there. Yeah. You can kind of, you can kind of tell when, because one of the things Jackson that you'll have to do and it's not pleasant and, you know, I have all of one directing credit, you know, a music video for Latin MTV and it was terrible, but one of the things I learned the hard way was you do have to be willing to be a jerk to get a performance out of somebody. Cause some actors just, you know, some actors are all over the place. They want you to tell them everything. Some actors are combative, whatever John Carpenter, you know, and I've heard Joe Dante say this, Joe Dante has basically said, you know, John can be a jerk, but that served him well. <laughs> right be, right because he can step in there and go no you're not doing it right mm-hmm. well i think i'm doing it right yeah well i'm in charge and no you're not and this is how you're going to do it yeah. so and and he has a great feel for actors you know that way i think he had i think john had a like a 10 15 year streak where you know you can say what you want about the quality of uh, of the films and i do think he gave donald too much leeway and prince of darkness but i think overall you know john carpenter deals well with with actors and so i don't i just don't buy that well but it's low budget we couldn't afford meryl streep we couldn't afford you know blah 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 Uh, who cares nobody knew who jamie lee curtis was in 1978 only horror fans knew who donald pleasance was and look at what john carpenter gets out of them and so you know joseph zito was kind of dismissive of his actors and the commentary. Um, you know, he does respect Lawrence Tierney. He does respect Farley Granger, but the rest he's like, yeah, I don't know what they've done. They weren't really that good. It's like, well, dude, that's up to you. Sure. I mean, it is. And that's, yeah. Yeah. That's on you, not them. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, an actor's going to do, if a director says that was great, the actor's going to quit. Directors have you seen that have made like literally like, okay, we need you to cry on the spot. And they can't get there. And then the directors will take them to the side and either, you know, give them something to make them cry about or smack them. Or, you know, I mean, directors <laughs> have done that throughout time of, of. Cinema. Oh, absolutely. That you that what you said reminds me of Drew Barrymore was having a hard time uh, crying in her in her opening scene of Scream. So Wes Craven knew she was an animal lover. He mm-hmm. pulled out an article about somebody who had tortured animals and read it to her and then went action. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm not laughing at the subject, but I'm laughing at the fact that, yeah, he did that. Well, it's tragic. It's so tragic. This could have been, this could have been an amazing movie. I mean, you, you see it in there. There are elements of this that could be amazing. The kills, the killer. And I think it has a good sense of humor occasionally too. Like in the beginning, you get that opening black and white, like newsreel thing. And at the end, it's like, buy that extra war bond today. You know, that was funny. But, but the thing is like, yeah, the, the director didn't want 
I don't think he was that invested in this. None of the actors were as invested in this. It just it the reason that you know st- something like My Bloody Valentine worked is because they were all trying to make it. You know, they were all trying to make the best out of what they had. Where as with this movie, I feel like they're just like this is a vehicle. This movie is a vehicle just to get kills out of the way to make a slasher to have something under our belts rather than something that will actually be quality. I don't know. It's just like and again we like this movie and we're we're crapping on the cast. We're saying they're not they weren't great. We're crapping on the director a little bit but i mean it's just like if they just given a little bit more with what they had obviously it can be done yeah absolutely and but so let's unless you guys have something more about the cast let's talk about what i think makes this movie work so well and greg's brought it up several times the practical makeup effects you know in specific the kills are outstanding i mean tom savini has stated this is his best work and I, I know you, Greg, I know you've had a bad run in with Mr. Savini. I saw that he was, I can use that old Hollywood line. He was always nice to me, yeah. you know, uh, but I've seen that. Um, but I'd be shocked if you weren't incredibly impressed by his work here. Am I right? Oh, absolutely. And I love Tom Savini. Don't get me wrong. And, and I hope for a speedy recovery. I know he was in a bicycle accident. I, I think, just saw that just yeah, like before. Yeah. I went, yeah. Yeah, a couple of days ago, and and I seen the pictures of his head, like stapled oh. or scraped up or whatever. But but I didn't have as much trouble with Tom as Sean did. Double H uh, Haddonfield Hatchet really dislikes Tom Savini as far mm. as but I've had both experiences. I had a really bad experience, but I had a really good experience with him. So I'm kind of in between. I'm like, okay, I know where he's kind of like, and and I think if anybody's ever met him, will know this situation like. At a convention, if you're of the female persuasion, you do get a little bit more attention than right. if you're male <laughs> persuasion. And I'm not saying he's a womanizer. I'm just saying he's a womanizer. But <laughs> said, <laughs> I think we've already established that from the previous yeah. story about chasing a blonde to Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, um, man, he is the, and I do say this reverently, like he is the maestro of special effects. Like, uh, Greg Nicotero does not exist without Tom Savini. Right. You know, these guys, KGB, without Tom Savini's direction, I just don't think they would have been where they're at now. And he's, I would say, the grandfather of it. And I love him, man. I think his his work is second to none. Like, I don't think anybody has ever done the head explosion oh. as good as him. I mean, I know Scanners is an amazing head blow-up scene. Yeah, but when you take Dawn of the Dead and then you move it up to actual going into the greatness of Maniac and then this one, sack it to none, dude. You're not going to beat it. So personal sides aside, I think he's the best. Going to the personal side, yeah, he could be a jerk, but I get it too. I mean, when you're at conventions, you're meeting thousands of people. I mean, it it, it can get tiresome. So I'll catch him a little slack for that. I mean, whatever. That experience I had was a good experience. The first time... I will be straight up honest, guys. I was probably the, the prick in the whole situation because I'm I'm the eager beaver. It's my first convention. I'm going up. I'm like, ooh, I want to get Tom Savini. I'm going, you know, I'm running. I'm like, I'm going to get Tom right. Savini. And he's sitting there trying to eat a hot dog, and I come up to him, and I'm trying to talk to him, and he's giving me that, like, get off of me look. So maybe it was my fault because the man's trying to eat a hot dog, and, you know, <laughs> I, I want him to sign my poster, you know. So maybe I was a little bit of the prick. I don't well, I, but you know what? It, it goes both ways. But, you know, I, 
it's like I tell people, it's like on the one hand, I'm with you. I don't go to a lot of conventions. I go to a couple things, but you know, people are people. They can have bad days. Sure. Uh, you had a bad run in, I if I remember correctly, with Corbin Burnson. Oh yes. Yeah, but, Corbin was the worst. <laughs> but he was my brother's neighbor for years. Probably a great guy, right? Loved him. Oh man. See, that hey, makes me just want to smack myself. Like maybe I was having the bad No, 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 no. He just could have been having a bad day, though. I mean, it's just like there could have been something going on at home, right? There could have been a physical thing. I mean, you know, like you can show up to a convention. Mm. And you may have the runs from food poisoning, <laughs> but you still got to show up and sign a thousand autographs because you're there. And it's like, but you're miserable, right? I mean, that can't happen. And well, they did have him in a back corner in the middle of nowhere. Like they uh, literally, and he's a star now. And they've got yeah. him in the corner with like, you know, whoever, you know, I'm I, now maybe that's why. And, it's and, and like it when Aaron happen. Gray was in with John Carpenter. Like, you put Aaron Gray right beside John Carpenter. Oh. Come on, guys. That's not smart thinking. I mean, you know, and I'm literally table side by side. Everybody has to go in front of Aaron to get to John Carpenter. I felt so bad because I'm like, there's nobody asking Aaron Gray unless you knew Battlestar Galactia. I mean, not Battlestar Galactia, but um, Buck uh, Rogers. Buck Rogers. You didn't know who Aaron Gray was. So, you know, it's like make the V line, go in front of her. Oh. Hey, how you doing? I'm going to see John. I mean, come on, dude. Be smart about these things. Yeah, yeah. They're not. You you and I both have been there. I've been to a couple where it's just like, who thought this through? Yeah, nobody. <laughs> yeah, nobody thought this through. And yeah, I, I, I agree. But it's just like, look, you got somebody like Linda Blair, who I've heard from horror fans who are like, I've had good experiences. I've had bad experiences. But Linda Blair is open. She's like, I'm bipolar. So, you know what, she, you know what, if she's having a bad day and you have a, you know, you have a legit, you know, physical condition and what Jackson and I talked about this when I watched uh, Jackson, did you watch the Tom Savini documentary? Uh, no, no, I, I okay. haven't seen, I know what you're talking about and I think you've shown me clips, but I haven't seen it. Yeah. I mean, he basically, he didn't state what his problem is, but he basically stated he has a physical problem. They asked why he doesn't do practical effects anymore. And he said, I can't, my hands won't do it anymore, which as a pastor and as a pastor's kid leads me to believe he has like some form of arthritis. Right. And so if you've got arthritis, you know what? You have good days and bad days. If you're in, if you're in pain and you're being a jerk, I'm going to cut you some slack. Sure. 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 And, and I, I, I'm gonna say on record right now, Tom Savini, y'all right in my book, buddy. Speedy recovery. Yeah, <laughs> I hate yeah. All bad things I ever said about you because I tried to interrupt you while you was eating your hot dogs. There you go. Well, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, yeah, but it still should be. I mean, but still, I remember hearing a interview with a, a um, agent and business manager, legendary agent and business manager, where he told every one of his clients never get upset. When people are coming up to you and asking you for autographs or for a picture or whatever, you get upset when they don't. <laughs> Good point. And I, so I, you know, I think that's the mindset that should, should be there. But, mm -hmm. you know, all, all that being said, look, I think we can all agree, Tom Savini and Jackson, you haven't weighed in on this, but I think I know what your answer is because you sent that Letterman clip and we've talked about this. He's a genius. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, in this movie, we get two of the most 
like brutal, some of the best and most brutal kills in the history of slashers in the span of a minute here. You get the the classic stab at the top of the head with the eyes rolling back. You get the pitchfork kill. I mean, he's a genius. He, he is a genius. And I've got his book full of practical effects. I didn't flip through it to see what he had to do uh, with the Prowler. I did do that with Creepshow. But, um, you know, I, I've, I've seen him, like, do plaster casts of head and stuff. I, and he's just so good at framing things. I think that's his main skill. I mean, a lot of people can make a plaster cast of a head and stab it and have blood go everywhere. But the way he frames it, it's very, like... It's real urgent and frantic, and it feels real and visceral. Whereas with other cheaper, you know, worse-made eighty slashers, you can tell when it's plastic. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and and he he just he he's perfected everything in his craft. I think he invented a lot of things that uh, practical effects people still use to this day. So he definitely deserves a lot of credit. And and I mean, if you have arthritis and your main you know job is using your hands, that's got to be a real crushing defeat. I mean, like if that's what you've been doing your whole life you perfected it that's what you're known for it's what you love doing and you just can't do it anymore that that'll make you feel bad and i can i can definitely understand why uh you know some people have had bad experiences with them but just as many people have had bad experiences as good so i think that's worth keeping in mind yeah and it was just to, to go back i agree i i think he's a genius i don't want to belabor the point I spent the day with him at Camp Novi Bosco at the filming location of Friday 13th. I sat with him uh, when he was having coffee in the morning. I sat with him when he was having lunch. I had my picture taken with him. I had a bunch of stuff signed by him. And, and he was very nice to me. But then I also saw when I was like standing in line to meet Adrian Kink, where he was kind of rude to people. But it was kind of cold. And, it, you, and I started to think when I watched that documentary, you know what happens to people with arthritis when it gets cold? They're in pain. That's true. And, yeah, and so I was thinking, okay, maybe he was being a jerk just because he was just in pain. Because I think, actually, when I was at camping Noby Bosco, I actually messaged you and Sean. I was like, okay, now I see what you're talking about with Tom Savini. Because he was rude to a couple people. Not me, but a couple other people. But when I look back on it after I watched the documentary, I was like, yeah, but it dropped down to like 49 degrees and it was windy. And I was like, he must have been miserable if he had arthritis. So, yeah, we all wish him a, a speedy recovery. Now, all that being said... We love his effects. Yeah. And Joseph Zito in the commentary stated this. And I thought this was great. He goes to a screening and he pulls one of those Hollywood things where he walks up and he goes, I'm the director. Because hmm. he just don't want to pay the $3.50 in 1981 to get in. He wants to get in free. And so they're like, okay. So they let him, he shows them his ID and he's like, oh, yeah, your name is Joseph Zito. Oh, yeah, that is the director. Okay, come on in. So he walks in. And he's getting popcorn, and one of the employees walks up and said, so you directed this movie? And he said, yeah. Um, he said, so I've seen it a couple times now working here. He goes, yeah. Did you like it? He goes, well, here's my question. Did you really kill those people? <laughs> <laughs> like Cannibal Holocaust or something here. Yeah. They, this guy thought this, like, the bayonet, and I know Dr. Shock has talked about this many times, like, the guy who gets the bayonet through the head. He's like, you killed that person. That person is dead. <laughs> that is, I mean, that oh. is one of the best effects too. And it's not just the way the the bayonet goes through the head, through the chin. Yeah. It's that extra when he gets ready to pull it up, and you see the eyes kind of, and it's like, oh my goodness, dude! I'm telling you, man, I never want to say anything negative about anybody ever because you know we are who we are. And yeah. I'll tell you right now, dude, that bar none is probably one of the best effects i've seen in any kill scene in any movie 
Like just that uh, bayonet and the way that Tom Savini pulled that off. My goodness. Oh. And my my favorite part about the kill is, you know, when he first gets stabbed, like blood runs down a scalp and onto his face and it's like showering him with blood. Oh, it's so perfect. There's yeah. so many facets to that. It feels so real. I can definitely see how somebody in the early 80s would be like, I just watched a snuff film. You know, I just watched somebody <laughs> die. <laughs> How's he not uh, in prison for murder? Look, we got, his yeah. <laughs> we got the footage right here, Judge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But that's what Tom Savini delivers to us time after time after time. Like, dude, that's why everybody wanted Tom Savini, man. It's like, if you're going to yeah. do a horror movie, oh, what do we got? Uh, well, we got $100,000 to make this movie. Uh, who do you got acting? It don't matter. Get Tom Savini. <laughs> that's all I care about. I don't care who we got in the movie. It could be a dog and a pig. I don't care. Put Tom Savini in it, and it's going to be gold. Absolutely. And I love that, that fact that, like, you know, listening to him talk, like when we did, Jackson, when you and I did Creep Show with Vicious Victor, you know, I think I mentioned this. I mean, it was so cool that like Rick Baker, Rob Bottin, Tom Savini, they're all friends. Mm -hmm. they, they don't see each other as competitors. So it's like when Tom Savini has to do his first ever animatronic effect for Fluffy from Creepshow. He like calls Rob Bottin and spends like 12 hours on the phone with him while Rob Bottin like works through, this is what you do. This is what you do. And Tom Savini's like, okay, I'll make it work. And I love that, you know, absolutely love that. And here, you know, to listen to him talk and Joseph Zito backed him up because sometimes I think Tom's kind of talking out of his butt and he's just kind of bragging on himself. Mm -hmm. But I think here, like when he, if you listen to the commentary where he's talking to Joseph Zito, you know, Tom's basically like, I need an entire day per kill. Mm -hmm. And he's like, because I don't know how to make it work until we start fooling around with it. So he's literally designing this stuff on the spot, <laughs> figuring it out on the spot. That's incredible, is it not, Greg? I mean, you've been on film sets, that's incredible. It is. Nowhere have I ever seen anybody work around the kills per se for a whole movie. But the fact that like, yeah, I mean, when you take just that scene along with the bayonet, all right, now if you go back to 1980 and you look at Savini's work with Friday 13th and you look at the throat, mm -hmm. you know, with Kevin Bacon. Okay. That was phenomenal. I think maybe he, maybe he knew right there. Okay. I remember how I did that. Let me amp it up. And then he does it fourfold and we see that same neck thing in this one as well by the way but anyways i, I just I, man i see tom savini knowing how to get these effects but at the same time just to be on set jackson you're going to be there is just to be on a set with somebody and watching them trying to figure something out dude i would have paid buckoos of money oh. just to have sat there and watched tom savini try quote i'm doing air quotes by the way tried to figure out how I'm going to make this scene work, that would have been, dude, oh, my goodness. I mean, put me there. Let me see that. Let me see how this mastermind works. And that, oh, I could only imagine. And I'm sure a lot of the cast were drunk, like you mentioned, probably weren't <laughs> even paying a bit of attention. Yeah. But I'd have been sitting over the chair like, let me see how he's doing this. Let me, I want to see this, dude. 
Well, that's the fun part, isn't it? Like trying to figure stuff out and, and, you know, just trying to practically see what will work. Like, you know, sitting and running through a line a couple times, the director's yelling cut and action, you know, that, that stuff is, is fun at first, but it, it'll get a little monotonous after a while, but really figuring stuff out and trying to make it look good and trying to make a movie work on set. You know, you're actually watching movie making before your eyes, right? I mean, this is the impressive stuff. This isn't the stuff that's going to be cut together to be impressive. This is the stuff that's impressive to look at, like, while you're there. So that that's the cool thing. I mean, that's why practical effects are so great, because you can see the movie being made in front of you rather than you're like, well, I hope that turns out good. You know, I mean, you can't you can't tell with the actors. You can't tell with with CGI effects. But when you have practical effects, you know, it looks good or or it doesn't, you know. So it's great. I, I, I love the art form and I wish it would come back. Yeah, him and Rick Baker alone. I mean, Pearl would have been right there yeah. and press the button. Like she would have been like, yes, help you over here. But I mean, that's that's the the era that we were fortunate to be in, Matt. Yeah. Like we were able to, and I know there's still a few directors and a few companies that are allowing it still, but everything's gone CGI for quickness and money purposes. Yeah. But all oh, to been in that era, man, was so amazing. Well, and the funny thing is though that Tom Savini swears that if you look at the sheets, it's actually cheaper to do things practically if you have a guy who knows what he's doing. If you have a person who knows what they're doing, it's cheaper to do practical than CGI. That's what he argues. Now, maybe he's wrong, but that's what he argues. But for some reason, producers have got it in their mind that no, 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 no. We have to do it this way. But I would still, I've said this many times, you know, if I won the lottery this week, the first thing I would do is send Jackson, say, Jackson, tell, you know, your your university that you're going to take a year to defer <laughs> to go to film school. And in the meantime, you're going to Tom Savini's, you know, uh, school of practical makeup effects in Pittsburgh. That's where you're going. And if I know I, Jackson, if, if I told Jackson that, I know he'd be packing while I was talking. Oh, yeah. So. If I won the lottery, if I won the lottery, the first thing I would do is go to Tom Savini's practical <laughs> makeup yeah. school. Well, I'd take a gap year to second. <laughs> so if, if your dad or I win the lottery, you're going to Tom There you go. <laughs> we have double the go. chance now. There you go. So... We get to Joseph Zito, who directed this. And, of course, uh, Joseph Zito went on to direct um, a number of— uh, Well, he directed Friday, thir most notoriously for our listeners, Friday 13th, the final chapter. But he also directed Red Scorpion. He directed Missing in Action and, U and Invasion USA with Chuck Norris. He also did—I thought this was strange— he did Alice Cooper's music video, He's Back, The Man Behind the Mask, even though that was for Jason Lives, which Tom McLaughlin directed. I thought that was strange. <laughs> but anyway, um, he, he, he did all that stuff. So, Jackson, I'm going to go to you here first. As an aspiring director, what do you think of Mr. Zito's direction? In this movie? Uh, fine, I guess. Yes, that's very competent. <laughs> It is very watchable. This is a movie you can watch. Uh, it, it it runs for a, approximately ninety minutes. It is it is never so confusing that you can't follow you know what's happening on screen. And the actors are not embarrassingly bad. Uh, so I would say you know with the screenplay, I would say Mr. Zito did a pretty good job. 
obviously not his best work, but I would argue not his worst. I mean, I've seen Invasion USA, and I love Chuck Norris, but <laughs> I think the oh, Prowler's a little bit better. Oh, don't you crap on Invasion USA. <laughs> I own that DVD, darn it. The ending, the last 30 minutes of Invasion USA is Chuck Norris walking around an empty office building. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen Invasion USA in a few years? I mean, it is I, something. I actually have, and I love it. And so, don't you dare, <laughs> oh, okay. dare mess All right. with my childhood. I school. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I oh, was thirteen it. when I saw Invasion USA. That I wanted explains to it. Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, I mean, you would, let's just say it's like Die Hard, uh, but not. It's not Die Hard at all. <laughs> but like I will Die Hard, but not. <laughs> that, that's exactly what it is. But I will say this, honestly, uh, you know, it, I, yeah. It's not as good as Friday the 13th Part 4. That's my favorite of the of the Friday movies. I know Part 2 is your favorite. Uh, and we were just talking about uh, the, the actress that played Jenny. I mean, she's basically in this movie. Just another actor is playing them. Yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, he did a pretty good job. I mean, with the screenplay and with how many writers were putting the thing together and with how sloppy the writing is, it's just like, you know what would be fun right now? Let's split up. Let's go throughout this dark house alone. I'll go down and fix the fuse box in the dark basement while you stay up here with what he had he made it as natural as possible um you know the twist isn't really like genius or anything and the the dialogue isn't gripping i would say but it's competent it is very competent uh and i definitely wouldn't say this is among the worst uh, slashers of the 80s because there were some really rough ones in the early 80s I mean just as many great ones as there were there were people who just did not figure it out yeah well I will go with a uh, a um, deviation of a quote from Stephen King and Stephen King said even a bad horror movie is a good time I will say even a bad slasher is a good time but anyway uh, Greg what did you think of Mr. Zito's work you've been on sets you, you, you you've seen people work what do you think yeah, I think uh, clearly, I mean, this one's not his best work. Friday the 13th, the final chapter, uh, would probably go down. Well, I don't know. See, and that's so close because both of these are so good to me. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think he'd done what he had to do with what he had to work with. I think mm -hmm. he was limited. I think he was uh, dealing with a lot of, of elements that were out of his control. So I think right. what he was able to do... I think he'd done what he, he, he needed to do. I think that the movie, as much as it sounds like I've crapped on it, I mean, I really enjoy this movie. So yeah. uh, don't let it go out that I'm trying to crap on this movie because I'm not. Like, you'll see when I rate this one. Uh, but with that said, I think he'd done good. I think yeah. his. I would have loved to have seen him had the ability to have somebody in a cast and in production as a Halloween or something I would have loved to have seen him go on to do many more projects to see it amplified. I just I don't think he was ever quite able to get that, unfortunately. I mean, working with Chuck yeah. North, low. I mean, that's you know you're hitting it there, Mister Beard himself. But I mean, mm -hmm. still, I would have loved to have seen him continue in the slasher movements and made many more. But yeah, he, he done good. I mean, I think he I give him A for effort. I should say, movie wise, not A for finished product. Once you look at everything, but I give him A for effort. All right. Yeah, I would agree with that. And so this was not a box office hit. This was not a Friday 13th or a Halloween. It was shot for a million. 
Um, but it made less than that at the domestic box office. Now, Joseph Zito says it made its money back overseas, but it, it, they turned down a major distribution deal with Avco, who at that time were distributing like The Fog and Escape from New York. And that seems to have been a, that seems to have been a mistake. Um, it seems to me, it kind of surprises me it wasn't a bigger hit because it seems to have been a natural for drive-ins in 1981. Um, but anyway, it, it's, this is something I found in the trivia. And this is in your neck of the woods, Greg. It's been recently discovered that the Prowler was re-released to a handful of theaters in North and South Carolina as Pitchfork Massacre in the spring of 1984, but it is unknown who the distributor was or whether they had the legally acquired rights to even release the film. Yeah. <laughs> I would have loved to have been there in 84 to watch this, but, you know, the, the, this was probably some jack-in-the-box guy that put this movie and said, hey, let's do this, or release it as this, and make a little money or whatever, but I, I wish I'd have been there to watch it, but, you know, so be it. Pitchfork Massacre sounds really cool for a movie, though. I do, too. And, and could you imagine this on a double bill at that time in 84 with the mutilator? Oh, yes. Fall break. Oh. Yes. 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 It's a fall break. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking. Dude, that would a great double bill. That, that one, this one, and even throw in Maniac as a triple feature, man, and all. Oh. There you go. There you go. Jackson, what about you? You in for that double bill at the drive-in? Uh, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, the, the most interesting part of that story for me is that nobody knows who distributed it. It kind of sounds like a mystery to me. Like somebody got their hands on a print and thought, let's make a quick buck here. Uh, you know, I, I wish I was that shrewd. I wish I was that, that on it. I mean, obviously they saw that like, you know, well, don't be were... that crooked. Um, uh you know well i mean <laughs> if i'm if it's gonna finance my next movie who knows i might i might have to but uh i don't know that i could have come up with something like the pitchfork massacre i i, I would have gone a little more nuanced and i think that would have been a mistake well mm. overseas i think it was rosemary's killer or something yeah. like that well let's talk about the technical aspects here which we will get to the music but all right, again, Jackson, you're the aspiring filmmaker. The editing, the cinematography, what'd you think? Cinematography, not bad. Uh, you know, there are a couple parts that I thought were really cool, especially the pool scene uh, yeah. with Lisa, I think her name was, uh, swimming in the pool. And, uh, you know, Strangers Pray at Night. I think, obviously, that was an inf this was an influence for that. Yeah. Um, it feels very much like that with how disoriented she is in the pool. Uh, but the editing, there were a couple parts that really confused me. Like, there are, lots, there are lots of shots of the Prowler at just random times, and it looks like he's not even in the same location as any of the people. But then he will be, you know, it's like, what's going on here? There was one part that I liked. There was one part that I thought used editing really effectively. And it's when uh, Deputy Mark is looking around with his flashlight because Pam had just run up to him and said, somebody was chasing me. So he's looking around with his flashlight and we see a shot of the feet of the Prowler. You know, he's got those boots on and he's right. walking in the grass. And then we see Pam in the in the sheriff Jeep and we don't know who he's going towards. Right. It just keeps cutting towards him walking 
And then it turns out he's not going for either of them. So it's like there was a great setup there. You know, it was really great. You don't know who he's going to go for because there's just as many chances for the both of them to be killed by the Prowler. Uh, but that was all set up for a false jump scare whenever Mark opens a door and scares Pam. So I, that could have been done better. It would have been cool if we'd seen the pitchfork go through that plastic window. That could have been cool. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. The, the editing is occasionally suspenseful and occasionally confusing. Um, but that's kind of what you get. I assume that they had very limited footage. They, they only had so much coverage, so they kind of had to work with what they got. And, and they barely made it to 90 minutes. I don't even think they did. I think it's 88 minutes. Um, so they barely made it to 90 minutes, and, you know, some of that's credit. So I feel like they were just using all the footage they had. Um, and I can't really blame them because if you're sinking money into this, this is a one million dollar production, and that's all you have. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna use up everything. So technically, you know, it's it's not uh, it won't blow your mind, but it's competent, like I said before. And I think that really speaks to to the director. Greg, what about you, buddy? Yeah, I agree with him. And also going through and knowing that you know through documentaries and stuff that I've seen of it as well, like they didn't have clothing, they literally found it in a warehouse, and then yep. they didn't have. The, you know, they had a collector with the cars. Luckily, I mean, if they hadn't had that, we wouldn't even have had the period piece there. So with the restraints, I think that they did uh, uh, a fairly well job of keeping it moving. It, it is, I've seen some people on YouTube talking about how slow-paced it was, almost glacial, you know, in scenes where, but that's the way slashers were. They always built that moment. You know, you always had those slow moments so that you'd have that dread. And uh, I, I think you done pretty good with it. I, I give them A for that. Yeah, the one when I was uh, watching the commentary today, the one thing Joseph Zito said that there, well, there are a couple of props he couldn't stand. But the one thing he said he really wished he could deal with, but he didn't know how was when the deputy calls the place where the sheriff's supposed to be fishing and you get the guy sitting there with the rolling rock beer and he's (laughs) chewing tobacco and you're just sitting there like waiting with him for like a minute he was like i kept trying to figure out how to get rid of that and tom savini said when i saw that i was like why wouldn't you let me kill him <laughs> <laughs> that would have been great i like that scene though you know honestly i think i thought that scene was even though it's slow it was more entertaining than them walking through the house real slowly that was kind of funny i kind of liked that um, but yeah, it definitely would have been awesome if the Prowler had jumped up behind him because as we know, you know, that's the place where, uh, the, the chief was staying. So it could have made sense if maybe he had gone back to his cabin or something, but, uh, yeah, that would have really made it. Well, let's talk about the music because we've been putting this off before we rate this. Let's talk about the music, the score, um, by Einhorn. I, I am not a great musician. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys both play music. What do you think of the score here? Greg, you go first. What do you think of the score? I love it. I, I yeah. thought it was strong. And then when I looked up Einhorn, like 1977 Shockwaves, not a oh. great movie by means, but right. the score for that or the composing, Don't Go in the House, 1979, 1981 mm-hmm. Eyes of the Stranger, 1981, of course, The Prower, two episodes of The Dark Side, Dead of Winter, 87, Blood Rage, 87, Sisters. I was like, dude. Yeah, I need all his vinyl. Like I want all his soundtracks because the soundtrack is really good in this one. Like it, it has its moments where it needs to be melodic, and then it it's got its up tones. I just I think it's really good. Now it's not a giallo style. I love Italian uh, uh, scores, but I mm-hmm. think for a slasher, it's not John Carpenter. But man, it's really decent. Man, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, Jackson, what about you? 
I, I agree. It is your classic, like, orchestral thing. Lots of strings. Um, the, I, I thought it was good. I thought it was good for what it was. The original score, that is. Mm. Uh, you know, like, like the scene where they're in the cemetery and the deputy is, you know, throwing his flashlight around. He's looking at everything. The music was actually timed with the movie. I noticed that. So mm. it couldn't... I, I immediately knew then, without looking anything up, it couldn't have been stock footage. I mean, they, they made this for the movie, or stock music. But yeah. uh, like like he'll he'll be looking around and the score is like mm-hmm, and it'll hit that thing and he'll move his flashlight. You know, it was good. It was it was suspenseful. <laughs> and uh, the pool scene, like I talked about earlier, there's some nice high strings. It's very ethereal, you know, kind of creepy, um, and it builds dread really well. Uh, so I thought the score was it was really good. It was really um, really added to the movie it doesn't have any like iconic melodies like um like the nightmare on elm street movies or halloween you know it's not not quite to that level where you can hum it but it does it does help with the atmosphere the original score the original orchestral score maybe not the uh the nowhere fast uh we'll talk about about them yeah (laughs) um oh man yeah. Okay. So I agree with you both. I love the score, but yeah, nowhere fast. Um, maybe ranked up there with the band from New Year's Evil and the band <laughs> Night Train to Terror, yeah. the first band to ever perform in a horror movie. I I saw one YouTube review where the YouTube reviewer referred to them as Tone Deaf Leopard. I see that. <laughs> I totally <laughs> see that and laughed. I was like, Oh my goodness. Well, here's the thing. Okay, here's what I wrote while I was listening to it. I was like, these guys sound like if Boston and Rush were performing on a, a seaward, like, rocking boat over top of each other. That's, what it, that's kind of what it sounds like. Now, I did look into them, okay? They have a little EP or double-sided single, I guess. came out in 1982. It's called Nowhere Fast Rock and Roll, the most original name for a, for a double-sided single ever. And these songs just sound real bad. I'll, I'll read you the track list here. Strange Reason, Matilda Take My Breath Away, I Saw You, Matilda? and The First Time. <laughs> yeah. who, who writes a power ballad to Matilda? <laughs> Matilda Take My Breath Away is the name of the song, yes. And uh, and I guess Matilda is the one he's talking about also in The First Time. I don't even want to imagine that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, awesome, awesome uh, name for a, for a double-sided single i can't find it anywhere um although i guess here on discogs.com you can buy the vinyl uh for five bucks if you're looking to buy the nowhere fast rock and roll vinyl uh that's there for you that's that's overvalued by four dollars and 99 cents four four songs you know four songs only one of them breaks four minutes and you're paying five dollars for it i'm not so sure that's worth it and if you don't like what they sound like in this movie i'm sure it gets no better uh but they performed three songs i think in this movie uh one of which was called hard way uh, which is like, what What are they talking about? The Hard Way is the name of the song. And the entire time they're just like, we could do this the easy way. We could do this the hard way. And you're like, oh my gosh. If these people are playing at my school dance, I think the administrators would kick them out within seconds. It's just, it's. I don't know how people are dancing. I just remember thinking when the guy gets drunk and gets arrested and taken away. And it's like, <laughs> even before that, it's been like, hey, there's a prowler on the loose. I'd have been like, I'll take my chances over this. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> the sweet, sweet release of death to release me from nowhere fast. <laughs> One word, by the way. May I point out, it is incorrectly listed in the credits, I think, as two words. But on the album cover, nowhere fast is one word. So they're trying to what? be real. They're trying to be real, uh, real original there. Yep. Nowhere fast, one word. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There, I can. I can definitely see why they did not have much of a career after this. But uh, you know, they were giving it their best shot. Okay. They. They were trying. Oh my goodness. What? Oh my goodness. I have just looked at their. Uh, the rest of their discog thing. They released not just one, they released four releases, okay? And one of them was a full album, apparently, <laughs> called Just Nowhere Fast. Oh my goodness, yes it is. You can buy their full album for only $4 on Discogs, and it's got like 12 songs, so oh, Lord. go figure. They're really trying to get you to buy this. But uh, yeah, Nowhere Fast definitely did not contribute any quality to this movie, but I would say they add to the entertainment value. I don't know how they added the entertainment value for you. This was the only part of the movie. I, where I love was like, New Year's Evil, so that that'll just tell you right. I do too, but not the bands in it. I mean, oh my gosh! Hey, I'm a uh, sucker for that though. Like, really bad music is really good to me. Like, I'm literally going to look this up on Discog because I think like I need. I mean, this is not fast way from Trick or Treat '86. No, no. that was awesome. But yes. dude, I'm looking this up now. Nowhere fast. Oh man, I know you guys can have it. I can't. I can do that with movies. There are movies that are so bad that I love them, like Nailgun Massacre, which I own. Um, but I, yeah, I can't do it with music. So you guys can have it. Um, all right. Before we rate this, sucker, is there anything else we want to talk about here, gents? Greg, anything you have on your that you want to talk about? Uh, no, I think we covered most of the soundtrack. Score, I should say, not soundtrack to score. <laughs> Kills were amazing. Like, we got to yes. say, throat, the one with the uh, sword through the throat. Oh, yeah. Old dude. But especially that bayonet, man. And the pitchfork through the rib cage of the girl lifting her up. And you get the, the gratuitous booby shots right there as well. Uh, we've been watching like Blowout a lot. Like, I love Blowout with uh, I love Blowout. Yes, yes, John Travolta. Pearl, we all know Pearl. And if you don't, if it's the first time you hear me, my wife is like the biggest John Travolta fan. Like she loves John Travolta. Okay. Yeah. So that said, we've watched Blowout how many times? Love like twenty thousand times. Okay. With that said, there's a, in that movie he's a sound guy. So there's a scene at the beginning where there he's trying to add a scream to right. a movie, and it's like this horrible. Ah! And you're like, yes. okay. well, this is not the best scream in this movie here. No. Hour. no. I mean, it's not that cringeworthy, but it's not the best. I, I was thinking the whole time, like, maybe they needed to bring John Travolta in and put in a screen there with somebody like Jamie Lee or somebody going, ah. Yes. <laughs> but yes. It's, okay. It's, okay. it's okay. But you got boobies, so there you go. You um, <laughs> the head explosion is second to none. That's, to me, the most epic. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's all my, my notes. Great movie. Absolutely. Jackson, what about you? What else? I don't have any more, but while we were talking about Nowhere Fast, <laughs> oh, I was man. just thinking we're going about back there. <laughs> yeah, we got to. What was the name of that that movie where it was about the the cult on Halloween, and then that this guy had a dream sequence where he was a part of this band and they were playing, and then this demon lady came in and zapped all their instruments into electricity. Do you know what I'm talking about right now? You're talking about Trick or Treat, right? Is that Trick or Treat? Oh, I guess it must be. Oh, yeah. Jeans oh, my goodness. Ozzy, yeah, man. 
I oh, love man. Treat. I saw that in the theater when I was 14. Oh. And, and I owned that soundtrack on cassette back when I was 14, yeah. What yeah. is it? What is it with with every '80s movie wanting to to double as a musical? I, I don't understand it at all. You do one thing right, you focus on it. I feel like they were spreading themselves a little too thin on this one. <laughs> yeah, I, and I can't even blame it on MTV because MTV uh, didn't even debut until after this movie, so you can't blame it on that. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it was the midnight special or you know whatever those TV shows in the '70s, but I don't know. But yeah, this is. But this band was terrible. And here's the thing. Mm-hmm. They're shooting in New Jersey. It's 1980. You can't get John Bon Jovi to come down and be the band. <laughs> yes. John so- Bon Jovi's playing in clubs at that time. Get John yeah. Bon Jovi to come down. Yes. Where was Gene Simmons at? He should have signed him up, man. Come oh, on. man. Oh, God. I know. Well, if they had come down, if they had come down and read the script, they would have been like, ooh, I'm a little runaway. <laughs> Hey, man, it would have been better than whatever that crap Nowhere Fast was doing. Yeah, um, perhaps. So, yeah. Hey, I saw Bon Jovi in concert several times. I like Bon Jovi. I'll stand by that. So Maybe anyway. we should be thankful. It, it might have killed their career. So so let's let's be thankful they weren't. Hey, He's, man. Got, a point. He's got a point. All right. What do we rate this sucker on a scale from 1 to 10? Greg, what do you give uh, The Prowler? After all this said, man, this is like a nine or a nine five for me, dude. Oh, this is, and it's because of the gore. I've got to give it to Tom Savini. I got to give it to Joseph Zito. I got to give it to the whole movement of slashers. It's it's a nine. I'm going nine. I'm going nine. All right, going nine. Jackson, what about you? You know, I think this this conversation has actually made my appreciation go up a little bit. Uh, it's not totally compelling, the plot. It's not wholly original. I, the kills, though, you know, just like Greg said, they're so brutal. They're so convincing. Uh, the design of the killer is cool, and it's less than 90 minutes. So if you hate it, if you absolutely hate it, you can watch it, and it's not much of a time sink. I watched it twice. So, uh, and I, you know, I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. I would watch it a third time. Give me a little while, okay? Yeah. If I watch this again, my head might explode like the guy at the end. But 7 out of 10, give me some time, give me a month or two, and I can see this again. I, I don't hate it. It's fun, it's a relic of the past, and it's got amazing kills. It, I think this is uh, Tom Savini's best work. And Nowhere Fast, so come on. It's yes, so- and Nowhere Fast. <laughs> Huge drawing, but I want to get a t-shirt with their logo on it. Yes, and, yes, Jackson, oh, yes. You're going my- to end up doing covers of them. I know you, you are. You yes. and Greg can go ahead and create the Facebook fan page for Nowhere Fast. <laughs> I'm pretty yes. sure not even the parents of the members of Nowhere Fast will join it, but go right ahead. Uh, <laughs> I I give this a 7.5 out of 10, but I say own it. I, mm-hmm. I, I own it, buy it. Uh, yeah, I wasn't a fan of some aspects of the screenplay. I don't think the acting is great, but I think it is a lot of fun. And as Greg said, I think the special effects are stellar. I think it is a must-see. It's streaming on Tubi right now. Yep. So, and shout out to uh, the big butcher, Bill Van Vagel, who is aspiring to be the Tubi spokesperson, yeah. uh, the face of Tubi. Um, you know, I have done a list of my favorite slashers over at Letterboxd. I have 186 slashers on that list right now. The Prowler currently ranks at 49 out of 186. Nice. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, so yeah, I mean, that it, respectable range. That's not because I do enjoy 
this movie. I get all the criticisms. We're really not listeners crapping on all over it because I'm telling you, if you've never seen this movie and we spoil the heck out of it, if you've never seen this movie, yeah, Greg and Jackson, I think, are absolutely right. Just the effects alone are worth watching this movie. Yeah. Because they're incredible. Yeah, Leonard Malton had gave this film a negative one and a half out of four. Wow. Wow. A negative one and a half. I'm like, what are you? And wow. The reason I don't follow Leonard Malton. <laughs> <laughs> but you can uh, Blue Round. Now, check it out. Blue Underground Blu-ray for fifteen yep. ninety nine. Bam. Get it. Worth Look. it. Absolutely worth it. I agree. It is worth it. And the commentary is great and all other kind of stuff. So absolutely. I definitely, I think we all three of us recommend at least for a watch, if not a buy. Uh, Like I said, it's on Tubi. Go watch The Prowler. So folks, we have a Patreon page where you can help put Jackson the Sun through film school. Go to patreon.com. Search for Father and Son Watch Horror. You can join for as little as $2.50 a month. You can suggest episodes, be a guest, vote on our horror Oscar show coming up. And Jackson and I pick the nominees, but the Patreon supporters vote for the winners. And we currently have a few ties, don't we, Jackson? We can't say yeah. who. We should but... be waiting till the last minute when we record. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, it's down. It's really down to the count now. Yeah, we'll be literally reading as we record what the votes are on that. So you could be the tiebreaker. So, Greg, I'm pretty sure that everybody listening here knows LOTC and knows you. But go ahead and say where they can find you online, buddy. I appreciate it. Uh, Landofthecreeps.blogspot.com is the current host of the show. So you can go over there. All we do is post the episodes. We don't do anything else there. We are currently... uh, loosely currently working on a website that we'll get up hopefully in the future as pearls awesome happy to. so we'll hopefully get that and get us a store going um but a bi-weekly show if you haven't listened i'd definitely love for you to come over if nothing else yes. march 31st you may know our co-host <laughs> on that episode you might have heard him <laughs> on here tonight who I mean, is it shock is <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> on and brother, you killed it for five and a half hours or whatever the show's gonna come out to be. Uh, we talked Godzilla and it was amazing. King Ghidorah, Destroyer. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so you will definitely want to listen to that episode. Thank you, Jackson, once again, man. It was a blast. I'm currently editing that episode and it's going great. Uh, you can follow us. We're on episode 247 now, so you got catalog. You can go back and listen. Yeah. Uh, you can follow me at Facebook. Uh, either at the Land of the Creeps group page, or you can follow me personally, Greg Morgan. But you gotta uh, let me know you listen because I just don't accept anybody. So with that said, that's that. <laughs> Instagram, Twitter. You can always email me at g r e g a m o r t i s six 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 at gmail dot com. Uh, if you got any questions, concerns, all that good huge stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> this Uh-oh. has been an honor. Uh, go back and listen to our two hundredth episode. Because Pastor Matt was on that episode, and we talked some Alfred Hitchcock, man. That was yeah. amazing. And, that was uh, fun. We got to get like both of you on the whole episode, like together. Now, now y'all come in separately. Now we got to do a full episode of both of you together. Now I don't know if we can handle it, <laughs> but I think we can. I think I think the crew and us can do it. We can do it. We'd be honored. And yeah, and absolutely, listeners. If there is even one person out there 
who hasn't listened to Land of the Creeps, you've got to. It's the most passionate horror podcast out there, along with H&P. Jackson, I've, I've, I've always said, in fact, we have an episode coming out soon where we say LOTC and H&P, they are the gold standard. They are the gold standard of horror movie podcasts. you got to go listen to LOTC. you got to go join the LOTC Facebook group because it's one of the most active and supportive and best Facebook groups out there there's just great stuff in there right greg i mean great people it is like our 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 community and i say our because this all of us like it's a family and and man i'm telling you everybody over there is so supportive and it's like constantly people posting what they're watching i love it um and it's just a community and i love that and that's a big part to my wife pearl and you got to listen to our bonus episodes we've already had a few out we got a new one coming out where we're going to be uh, talking in April where we're going to be discussing the Final Destination fr- franchise, Pearl and I, and it's going to be, ooh. I know it's going to be fun, man. We're already going to start research on that, so I'm, ooh, I'm so excited. Uh, but no, it's, it's a family, and that's what I love about it. So anyone's welcome. Uh, if you send your request, because you do have to be accepted over, just let me know that you listen, because we get a lot of bots, and I don't want drama right. bots. So just let us know that you listen to the show in a private message and then we can accept you up in there. So we, we welcome all, but we reject any. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a bot, you will uh, said it, said in a great metal voice, by the way, that's fantastic. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, people join up it and, and post and, and, and oh, just yeah. join in cause it's great. So, and you can find more from us at fatherandsonwatchhorror.com and on Twitter and on Instagram. Jackson, where can they find you, buddy? First, I got to issue a formal apology here on the record. Uh-oh. When I was talking about a metal dream sequence in a horror movie where people's guitars get zapped, I was, in fact, thinking of Hack-A-Lantern, oh, uh, not yes. Trick or Treat. Yeah. Oh, so I, yeah. yes, <laughs> in quality and everything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, great, great movie. But uh, yeah, so that was my formal apology right there. Uh, I'm so sorry. But anyways, uh, yeah, you can find me on Letterboxd at Kane Hero. That's K-A-I-N-E underscore Hero 12 on tw- uh, twelve on Twitter. And uh, you can find all my links for my Twitter and my Letterboxd. Uh, yeah, but definitely check out the new Land of the Creeps episode. That that was some of the most fun I've ever had b- behind a mic because I was talking about something I loved with people that uh, inspired us to make a podcast. So that that was an awesome time. Yeah, and I, so I'm on Twitter um, and Letterboxd as Pastor Matt R. And folks, if you're out there listening, it's not too far off this week. Tickets go on sale for Joe Bob's big drive-in event outside of Philadelphia. Uh, at least he said in April, so I'm guessing April 1st, but it may be sometime during April. But you can go to Joe Bob's um, website. And the reason I say that is that we hope, we hope... Uh, if we can score tickets that Jackson and I will be at that event, Dr. Shock and his wife plan to be that at that event. Hopefully anybody out there is listening. Um, will be there. It would be great to have a little meetup there at Joe Bob's uh, driving event outside of uh, Philadelphia. It's in July. I don't have the exact dates in front of me. I think it's what is the second or third week in July, I think, isn't it, Jackson? Like July 17th or something like that. And we hope to be there, and we hope that uh, you will be there, too. And if you are, let us know, because we would love to meet up. Jackson and I will be flying in, grabbing a hotel room, and and we would love to meet up with people for coffee and so forth. And also, if you go to the vent, maybe we can just put our cars together and watch horror movies with Joe Bob. Should be a good time, so... 
Greg, thanks for being on again. It's been too long, buddy. Our best to the lovely and talented and smart Pearl, um, your better half. And uh, Jackson, say goodbye to the good people. Goodbye, and remember to uh, not to, to not explode your to not explode your. I don't know what I learned. From, I don't think I learned any life. How about from turn on the lights when you go into a strange house looking for a serial yes. killer? So goodbye, <laughs> and remember turn on the lights when you go looking for a strange serial killer. And remember, if you think someone's watching you, you're probably right. <laughs> Thank you, Megan. Uh, <laughs> yes, thank you, Megan. Thanks for listening. Until next time, remember that the family that watches horror together slays together. See ya.